You know, it's wonderful when God breaks in and he changes our plans a little bit. <laughs> this is what it means to be a spirit-filled church, brothers and sisters. Yeah. Amen. The presence of God is here. I want to challenge you, I want to charge you right now as we're, we're going into God's Word. Don't you dare lose this moment. You go to your seats right now, but you cling on to God right now because the Spirit of God is here. And He's going to speak to us through His Word right now. Oh, yes. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. Amen. Man, go for it. Yes, you do. <laughs> I thank the Lord for what he's doing in this church community because he is changing lives before our eyes. He's moving before our eyes. He's moving before our eyes. And we're moving free and we're open as he works through us. And I just bless him. I bless him for what he's doing in our body. I bless him for the building that he's been doing in this body. He's building up our gifts. He's building up our family. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. You know what this is? This is uncommon love. Amen. It's uncommon love. And I know already this year, you've been hearing about uncommon love. And you've been hearing about how uncommon love is the combination of two things. Two key things. It's pursuing the power and the presence of Jesus. And it's pursuing loving God and loving our neighbor. Today is where those two things intersect. You know, shame on us that we ever try to separate them. Shame on us as churches across this land and across the world that we ever try to separate this notion of the presence of Jesus and the love of God and the love for our neighbor. You know, so many people, when they hear the word prophet, when they hear about things of the Spirit, they imagine a strange person that you wouldn't want to have in your house for dinner. Amen? They think of some strange guy, like John the Baptist, walking around in odd clothes, eating locusts 
and wild honey, a very odd person. And some of the prophets in the Old Testament especially were like that. But I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, it's not how it's meant to be under the new covenant. It's not what it's meant to be, my brothers and sisters. The presence of Jesus we can pursue without fear that it's going to turn us wacky. Amen? You know, and we don't have to have big hair or a white suit. Or dare I say it, a private jet. I'm telling you now, your pastor will never have a private jet. Praise God. But you know, the title of my talk today is this, Prophetic Encouragement, Fulfilling Your Destiny in God. Prophetic Encouragement, Fulfilling Your Destiny in God. And I want to start by saying this to you, in God's kingdom, fulfilling your destiny is totally entwined with this, helping others to fulfill their destiny. It's not about you. It's not about you. It really isn't. It's not about your pastor. It's not about worshipping your pastor. It's about Jesus. Amen. And at Jubilee, where I come from in London, we have a banner on our screen. And right at the top of that banner, it says this. It's all about Jesus. It's not about you. Fulfilling your destiny is tied up in helping others fulfill theirs. And I'm telling you now, the only way, the only way you're going to fulfill your destiny is by getting a hold of prophetic encouragement. You need to become an expert in both receiving and giving prophetic encouragement. And the word of God to you this morning is this. He wants you to be a church that is known for this. Prophetic encouragement. And you might be like, what do you mean by this, Adrian? What is prophetic encouragement? Those are two words that sound strange to me. I hear a prophet and I think of someone saying, woe to you. Let me tell you, that's not what New Testament prophecy is like. You see, I've got some good news for you. God is in a good mood. Amen? God is in a good mood with you this morning. He's in a good mood with me this morning. Not because I got up early this morning. I got up at 5 a.m. this morning. I was praying probably at 5 past. Is that why God's in a good mood with me? No, that was just because I was jet lagged. (laughs) Nothing special about that. You know what I'm saying? And if I'd have woken in, slept in till half eight, God would still be just as much in a good mood. He's not in a good mood because of what I've done. He's in a good mood because of what Jesus has done. Amen? So what is prophetic encouragement? Well, let's start with that first part of the word, prophecy, prophetic. What is prophecy biblically? Well, in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 14 and 3, we see the purpose for prophecy. And while you're turning to that, let me tell you my definition of prophecy. It's very simply this. It's an impression that God may have something to say specifically to specific people in a specific time and in a specific situation. Okay, it's an impression that God may have something to say to a specific people in a specific time, in a specific situation. So there's a specificity about prophecy. Okay, and it's going to happen right now. As I'm preaching, actually, it doesn't have to be a thus saith the Lord. Sometimes it can happen in a strange way. Let me tell you one story. 
I remember one time I was in a, uh, an alpha course, actually, uh, and it was in a student union, and there was a girl there. And I just got talking to this girl. She'd been dragged in by two of her friends who were not Christians at all. And I got talking to this girl. And she said something about the fact that she used to be a Christian, but she didn't know what had dragged her into this room. And I got talking to her. And then she turned to me. And she said this to me. She said, Adrian, she said, how does somebody become an alcoholic? A funny question for someone to ask. But what was even stranger was what I found myself saying. Now, don't get me wrong. This is not a common experience for me, as dramatic as this. This is, you know, this is one of the most dramatic I've ever experienced, to be honest. And it wasn't accompanied by some flashing lights in the sky either. I didn't even realize I was prophesying. I just found myself saying something strange, and it went something like this. Well, it's a bit like this. Supposing that you were the sort of girl that slept around a lot. Funny thing to say to a girl in a bar. Supposing you were the kind of girl that slept around quite a lot, but just last week you met someone and that seemed like not just another one night stand and you got emotionally attached to this guy, but this guy, instead of you dumping him, he dumped you and you hit the bottle big time and then the next day you hit the bottle again and then the next day you hit the bottom again. I'm telling you, that's how you become an alcoholic. The girl looked at me. Her jaw dropped to the floor. How did you know that, she said. I was reading her mail. I was reading her diary. I didn't know I was reading her diary. That's prophecy. And sometimes it will happen in a much more subtle way than that. Much more subtle way than that. When something that you say will just take on a specificity for someone. Something that the preacher's saying will just, it will feel like it's an arrow straight for me. Like no one else in the room. It's, it's relevant for. And God will do that right now as I'm speaking. God does that every time a preacher preaches. That's prophecy. But in the New Testament, I want you to understand something. It's purpose. Prophecy's purpose is always this. The one who prophesies speaks to people to condemn them. Is that right? Is that what it says? No. Speaks to people what? To upbuild them is what the ESV says. Or as the King James says, to edify them. You know, edification, it means upbuilding. It literally means that. It means to turn someone into a building. It means to take dirty stones on the ground, pick them up, wash them down, and start to slot them in, and to give them a purpose in the people of God. Amen? You see... Actually, it's not even just a purpose. It's a place and a purpose. God has a place for you this morning. All right? In fact, let's say this together. God has a place and a purpose for me in his people. We'll say it together. God has a place and a purpose for me in his people. That's not loud enough. Let's say it again. God has a place and a purpose for me in his people. That's edification. It's building you up. It's strengthening. It's establishing. In, in Ephesians 4, there's a verse which we won't turn to, but it's a foundational verse for you as a church because in the King James, it talks about how the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers are given to perfect God's people. That's where perfecting church comes from. Uh, in, in the ESV, it says to equip God's people. The original Greek, the idea is like setting a bone that's broken bringing it straight, making it whole again, making it able to do something for God, to equip them for works of service. 
So just in case you didn't know, he's not the minister here. You're the ministers here. Okay? He is the equipper here. He is the one to equip you to do the works of service, to send you out to be the ministers. How many here work in a school? Okay, you're a minister in that school. How many here work in an office? Okay, you're a minister in that office. How many here work in a uh, in, in, in some other way. <laughs> I hope that's all the rest of you. Because if, uh, if you don't have a job, then we'll pray for you afterwards to get you a job, or we'll give you a kick up the backside to apply for one if you haven't applied for a while, okay? We don't want no one on benefits here, amen? Oh, you call it something else here, I think. Welfare. We call it benefits. Benefits are what God gives us, really. Welfare is what the state gives us. Now, it has its place. But if you're sitting at home... Maybe this is one of those specific words. If you're sitting at home and you're enjoying your welfare check and you think, hey, it's something that I'm entitled to and you know what? I ain't getting no job. (laughs) God would say to you, shame on you. If a man won't work, he shan't eat. Not if a man can't work. Not if a man can't work. Some, Some men and some women can't work. That's fine. But if a man won't work, refuses to work, stubbornly, arrogantly says, no, I, I'm not going to be a taxi driver or something like that. I want, I, want to, I, want to, I want to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a lawyer. And unless I get a lawyer job, I ain't doing no job. <laughs> Let me tell you this. My first job was delivering newspapers. You know? I've been a cleaner. I've been an auxiliary nurse. I've been a porter in a hospital. I've done all kinds of jobs. And I've done some that... You know, the world would see as more important than that. But I'm telling you this. God would say to you this morning, work. Sorry, none of that was in the script. So so don't blame the pastor for that. He never told me to say that. Uh, Some of you are thinking right now, he knows. Pastor Kevin told me. Told him. Well, he didn't. Okay, that's God. Blame him. (laughs) It's to build us up, to give us a purpose. And you know what? When you have a purpose, it deals a lot with depression, I'm telling you. There's nothing worse than having your purpose stripped away from you to make you feel depressed. And there's nothing better than realizing you have a purpose to lift your depression. For sure, some people need drugs. But I tell you, you need a purpose more. You do. So that's what it means to edify, to build up, to make into a building, to give a purpose and a place in the people of God. And that's what prophecy is for, it's to do that. But it's also to encourage, or as the King James says, to exhort. And I guess that's what I was just doing a bit. Some people think that encouragement is like this. Oh, poor thing. It's much more, come on! (laughs) It's to strengthen you, to fortify you, to appeal to you. To earnestly beg you, to to speak directly to you, but also to lift you up, to give you hope. How many of you know the gospel lifts us? Jesus is about lifting us. You know, maybe you're a cleaner now, and there's nothing wrong with being a cleaner, but you know what? Maybe God's got a better purpose for you as well. But if he hasn't, be the best cleaner you can be. You should be as happy being that cleaner as you are being a lawyer. You know? 
And the, and the Bible says, be waiting to give an answer for the hope that's in you. And, and if you're the best cleaner, someone's going to say to you, why do you clean like that? I say, well, because you're not my boss. <laughs> if you were my boss, on the pay you were giving me, I'd do a shoddy job. <laughs> but I'm not working for you. I'm working for a much better boss. And I'm working for a much better reward. And you know what? When Jesus comes to dish out his rewards, he's not just going to look at what you did in the church building. He's going to look at what you're doing from Monday to Friday, 9 to 5. Or dare I say it, 10, a, 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. for some of you. I don't know. Maybe you're on the night shift. I tell you what, the night shift's great. Not so many people around on the night shift. You can pray a lot. I can see it now. Bless Pastor Kevin as he's preparing his sermon. Let us hear God. This son- Wonderful. What a gift. To have a job like that. It's a gift, brother. There's somebody here who needs to receive their job as a gift and not a curse in Jesus' name. It's not a curse in Jesus' name. I was no good as a cleaner, by the way. They fired me after the first day, but never mind. <laughs> Sorry. I was better at some of my other jobs, fortunately. Oh, dear, I'm not doing well here. I'm not even finished my first point. I'm not even really finished my introduction. <laughs> we'll be here at 6 o'clock tonight. Is that okay? <laughs> It's your fault. I blame you. You're such a good congregation to preach to. You really are. So this kind of encouragement, this kind of exhortation, what it is for is to lift you up, to make you stronger, to make you more robust, to make you more able to cope with life, and to make you better able to follow Jesus. And yes, more able to help others too. That's the purpose of it. That's what it is. And it's interesting, that word in that chapter is the word paraclesis. Anyone who knows any, any Greek at all probably knows that the Holy Spirit is described as the paraclete. So you, you say, make me like Jesus. I want, you want to be like the Holy Spirit? Be a paraclete. Be an encourager. Be someone who draws alongside someone and who strengthens them. And then the third one, consolation. And that does mean comfort. In the, in the King James, it's described as comfort. And this really is encouragement when someone is downtrodden or when they're mourning. And you know, there's a speaking director and there's a lifting up and there's a giving hope, but there's also a gentleness about this. See, one of the things about the Christian walk is that we have to learn when to basically yell at people like I was just doing and, and when to say to someone, hey, God knows. God knows. And I believe sitting in this room today, there's somebody who just in the last week or so, an anniversary has either happened or it's just coming. And as this anniversary has got closer, it's the anniversary of a death. And you found yourself grieving again. And the thing is, back when it happened, you bought into a lie And it's such a subtle lie, but it's one that I think there may be other people in the room have bought into too. And it's a lie that sadly comes from distorted scripture. There's a scripture that people read wrong. How many of you know it's easy to read scriptures wrong sometimes? I just want to read this scripture to you. This wasn't in the script either, but God spoke to me about this. This is here. I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who are dead. 
that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. And here's where people get that wrong. They think that what that's saying is you can't grieve if you're a Christian. That's what they think, but it's not what it's saying. Because Paul himself, who wrote that, elsewhere said that if one of his friends had died, he would have had sorrow upon sorrow. Jesus himself wept when Lazarus was in the tomb, even though he knew he was about to raise him from the dead. (laughs) I mean, don't you think that's one of the most astonishing moments in the whole Bible, and the most astonishing verse in the whole Bible, when it just says this, Jesus wept. And I want to say to you, that person whose grieving was arrested all those years ago by this misinterpretation of the scriptures, and it may not have been that that verse was quoted to you, but this is where it's coming from. This idea that Christians have to go, Really, I am. I'm praising Jesus today. No. Jesus wept, so it's okay for you too. How many of you know real men do cry? Because Jesus did. And he was nothing if he wasn't a real man. And I want to liberate you this morning. God is saying to you, it's okay to cry. Because what this verse really means is we just don't grieve in the same way as those who have no hope. Because we have a hope. And this word, this consolation word, is all about bringing hope to people. People have said that the job of a prophet is to go around lifting people's hopes up. It's not giving them false hope. It's giving them true hope. Because there's a hope that goes beyond the grave. And to that person here this morning who's grieving and who felt arrested in their grief, they couldn't grieve, and it's come back to you afresh, God would say to you, it stops. You can cry, but then it stops because there's a hope. And he's going to set you free. He's going to set you free. You you may cry a bit, and that's okay. But he's going to set you free, because there is a hope. There's a hope that goes beyond the grave, amen? 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 Amen. Amen. Who who is that? Who is that person? There's somebody here. It's you, okay. Who else is suffering from grieving? There's some other people. You're the one that, that that's specific to, but there's some others right now, and God wants to set you free. Okay, just stand where you are. Just stand where you are. Sorry, I know this isn't how we do it. It's not the right way to do it. We're supposed to do this at the end of the sermon, but no, I don't think God wants to leave it even another second, okay? Right now, across this room, in the name of Jesus, I set you all free from the lie that says you can't grieve in Jesus' name. I set you free from that. Release tears in Jesus' name, but tears that will bring resolution in Jesus' name. We bring hope. So there's a grief that's allowed, that's permitted, it's encouraged even, but it's a grief that is tinged in a different way, that feels different because we have a hope in Jesus' name. Somebody put the hand on the person that's standing up and pray for them right now. This is how we encourage people. This is how we console people. This is how we build them up. You you don't have to think, I'll never be happy again. You don't have to think that. You know, you can be sorrowful, but always rejoicing. You can have moments when you cry, but moments when you laugh. And the person that died is not going to be sitting in heaven saying, Hi, he's laughing, he shouldn't be doing that, I'm not there. He's not. He wants you to be happy. God wants you to be happy. But he's okay with you grieving. <laughs> that sounds contradictory, doesn't it? There's lots of contradictions like that in the Bible. You get used to it. It's not a contradiction, actually. It's a glorious truth, and I've experienced it personally, and I think many people in this room have experienced it as well, that we can be sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Amen? Always rejoicing, even in the midst of real pain, because we have a hope that goes beyond the grave. 
So set these people free in Jesus' name. Set them free right now in Jesus' name, I pray. Hallelujah. Yes. Glory. Glory. Now, you remember this. You can sit down now. You remember this when somebody dies. Let me tell you this. You will have a friend of yours or a loved one that will die at some point in your life. And the older you get, the more it's going to happen. Unless you die first. Sorry, it's a funny thing to say. But I want you to know. I want you to be prepared for that moment. That gives you strength in that moment. You see, that's the thing. And you know what? In that moment, when you're at your work, and you're saying to your friend, my mother died. And yet you're not in despair. And your friend says to you, I don't get it. I mean, you are sad, I can see that. You're not sort of putting on an act. But you seem to have a hope. Why is that? That's when you tell them. I have a hope because of Jesus. I have a hope because he conquered the grave. I have a hope because a man came and death could not hold him. Why why are we interested in the gifts of the Spirit here? We're interested in them because we need strengthening. We need emboldening. We need courage put into us. We need to be comforted. We need it, don't we? Or am I the only one? I'm not the only one. Ephesians 4.29 says this. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only, only, only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion. That's what I mean. It's interesting. Fits the occasion. There's a wisdom. You know, the time to comfort in that more traditional sense and the time to say, pull yourself together, mate. that it may give grace to those who hear. And that's the result of prophecy. That's the result of prophetic encouragement. And that is really why every Christian should be prophetic. You don't necessarily have to be a prophet, but you should all be prophetic. Because we're bringing hope to a dying world. And the Bible has an example of a prophet in the New Testament sense of the word. And that is Barnabas. And so we're going to begin our sermon today by talking, and the, t- the clock starts here, is that right? No, it doesn't. <laughs> it's okay. It's good. Barnabas, in Acts 4, 26, is introduced to us. Uh, and and the, the interesting thing is, I, I'm absolutely convinced he's a prophet, okay? I could go into the whole details of that, but here's the main reason. It's because he was called the son of encouragement. So he fulfilled everything that prophets were meant to do. And it's funny because the Bible doesn't record a single prophecy that he spoke. But I think there are other reasons why it seems clear that he was a prophet. And he's recorded for us as an example of what every New Testament Christian should look like in this whole point of dispensing and receiving, giving and receiving prophetic encouragement. So he was known as the son of the prophet. It says here, son of encouragement, which actually, interestingly, can be translated son of the prophet as well, which is interesting. You can translate it both ways. But he was known as the son of encouragement by his leaders. And it was all because he gave money. And he was, but he supported the leaders. He supported the work. And how many of you know that it's encouraging to a leader not to have to worry that God's purposes won't have enough money to fulfill them? And I haven't spoken to him about this. And I'm sure 
I just know without even asking that you're a giving church. I can just tell. I can just tell. Uh, but that's encouraging to your leaders. And, and what I want to ask is, who should we encourage? And actually, the first place we start is with our leaders. It's a funny thing, but that's where it starts with this. We encourage our leaders. And, uh, and you don't have to be a big, mature Christian to do that. I remember as a young Christian, and that's what's happening here, Barnabas is the encourager of his leaders. And I remember as a young Christian, I used to go quite regularly to see my pastor. He was a big Pentecostal pastor. Great guy. He was the kind of guy that if he laid his hand on your head, you'd fall. But it wouldn't be under the anointing of the Spirit, you know? <laughs> no, it would, it would. <laughs> Sorry. But I used to go and see him fairly regularly for counsel, for advice. And just because I wanted to learn. And I remember one time, a funny look came over his face. And he said this to me. He said, Adrian, it's so encouraging when you come. He says, because you remind me of why I got into all of this. I got into this to help people. And you're, you, you know, you're in the right place. I guess you'd have to deal with some moaning people. I hope you haven't got any moaning people here. No. I don't think you do. I think I could smell them if, I, if you did. <laughs> Thank God that you don't. But I think maybe he'd have to deal with some of that. I don't know. But he said, you encourage me. I remember my own mentor, a, a, another guy called Henry, Henry Tyler. I named my son after him. The first time I met him, actually, it was after he'd spoken. And um, normally when someone speaks, there's one or two people, and this is not asking you to do this, okay? But there's one or two people that say, oh, thank you. That, that was a great message. You really encouraged me or something like that. And that's not an appeal for that, okay? <laughs> but actually, this guy was different because what he did, and you can see, you know, your pastor is a great man because he's a learning pastor. He doesn't think he knows everything. Look at him. He's sitting here in the front row with his notebook open writing notes. And I think he's the only one. <laughs> Okay, no, he's not. Ah, praise the Lord. Amen. Okay, next week we're going to see some more notebooks here, okay? But I was sitting on the front row and I was scribbling notes furiously because I wanted to learn. And so he came up to me afterwards and imagine Kevin's me. And he said, it was so encouraging to have you in the sermon today. I was blown away. That man went on to be one of the most significant encouragers in my life. And I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for him. And you need biblical encouragement if you're going to mature as a Christian. But if you want to be obedient to Jesus and help to fulfill the Great Commission, which he gave all of us, you know, it's funny, we sometimes skip over Matthew 28. But he says this, he says, go to church every Sunday. And if you're feeling really spiritual, once in the week as well. And if you're feeling really, really spiritual, perhaps bring someone to church. Is that what he says? Just sit there passively but enjoying the worship. Is that what he says? Write notes even. Is that what he says? No, he says this. Go. Say it. Go. Go Go into all the world and make disciples of all nations. Teaching them to obey and baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And you're going to have some baptisms here soon, eh? You are. Because we have to obey that great commission. We have to make disciples. And the only way of making disciples is to first make a friend. And and actually to encourage them. To be a dispenser of encouragement to that person. No other way of doing it. So if you want to obey Jesus, you're going to learn how to do this. Jesus will be much more interested in the lasting impact that you make on a few people 
than he will be on how big a crowd gather here on a Sunday morning. He really will. He really will. He's going to call you, and it may just be two, three, four people. That may be all it is. But he's going to call you to encourage. You know, one of the great blessings of my life is that there's one or two people that I've been able to do that for. And, and it was funny, I was talking to this, uh, I was talking to the pastor about this. One of them is actually one of the elders in our church. It might surprise you to know I'm not an elder at Jubilee. How many of you know you don't have to be an elder to serve God? But there's a guy who came to Jubilee Church having been completely away from God, probably not even a Christian before. He was the son of someone who had been a pastor in another church. But he, one of those guys who just ran away from God, probably never really knew God for himself, into drugs, into all sorts of things. He came back to God and, um, sorry, I think it was his brother that was more into drugs. But anyway, whatever. He came back to God, but he wasn't anywhere really with God. And they asked me to sort of help disciple this guy. Well, this guy is now one of our elders in the church, and he's my boss now. And I'm grateful to God for that. That is being a dispenser of biblical encouragement. You see, there may be people that you will encourage that will go further than you. And you should be grateful for that. You know, there was a man. He was just trying to go to a crusade, and he just wanted to bring a few people with him. And he was trying to reach out to a few people to encourage them to come. And there was one particularly stubborn young man in the town who nobody really thought would ever come with him and nobody really thought would ever become a Christian. How many people know that sometimes God has his eye on those kind of people? You know, we look for the person most likely to become a Christian. Okay, really? You were likely to become one yourself, were you? Really? You were like, look at me, God, pick me. I don't think you were. I wasn't like that anyway. So this guy, he comes up to him and he twists his arm and he says, look, I need someone to drive the truck. Would you, would you mind driving the truck for me? Okay, I'll drive the truck. And he comes to this crusade. This guy has been reluctantly pulled along by a guy who I don't remember the name of. And this guy gets saved. You want to know who was driving that truck that day? Who knows? It was Billy Graham. Tell me this. Who has done the church of Jesus the most Good. Billy Graham or the guy that dragged him along to that crusade? I don't know. I think it's a tie. Because Billy Graham wouldn't have done what he did unless that guy was obedient to that impulse that he had to drag that guy to the crusade. And that might be all God's calling you to do. Imagine that, if that was the only thing God wanted you to do in your life, was to actually be involved in the salvation of the next Billy Graham. That would be pretty cool, huh? That might be tomorrow. At work. That could happen to you tomorrow at work. Some guy who you think, he's never going to be a Christian. But you're going to talk to him. And who knows what will happen. See, God wants you all to be his missionaries. It's so good being here in this room because I'm looking at this stage. Whoa! (laughs) I'm looking at this stage. And I'm seeing this stage. And it's like in a dream I saw once. I had a dream. God speaks to me sometimes through dreams. I'm getting old, I guess. And I had a dream one time. And I dreamed that Jubilee Church, actually, where we were, we were meeting in a theater. It was a very strange dream because we're quite happy where we're meeting, got no plan to move. But you know what? It looked almost exactly like this. But what was interesting was that the curtains were closed and then the curtains opened. And I saw that there were just a couple of our folks on the stage about to start the meeting. 
But in my dream, something very odd happened because in the sides, people started coming on from the sides. And the whole church started piling onto the stage like some kind of giant Pentecostal choir of several hundred people crammed in there. And I felt God say this, work to build a church where there are more people on the stage than watching. God's calling you, not necessarily to be on this stage literally, but to be on the stage of his purposes. So be an encouragement to your leader. Hebrews 13.7 says this, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. I wouldn't like to be in his shoes. There's a whole lot of you to give an account for. And boy, some of you are making his life hard by some of the things you're getting up to, and he's going to have to give an account for that. That's not easy. So obey your leaders. Make it easy for them. And most of you are doing that. But if you do that, that will encourage them because then they can do their work with joy. And I can tell you now, he doesn't grumble behind the scenes. He's very happy. So you must be doing this, but do it more, okay? <laughs> Barnabas was all in. Are you all in, or are you on the fringes? God would call you to be all in. It was funny, you know, I was talking to a couple of people before this meeting, and I suspect they represent a lot of you. And they said something like, this, oh, yeah, we've been coming for a while, and a few months, actually, and sort of thinking about whether or not to join. Um, and we've never gone to a P-cell yet. We like the church. I mean, we even know the pastor and we think it's great. But we're sort of wondering, maybe we should try somewhere else. I don't know. <laughs> Wake up. Get on the stage. Get into the purposes of God. Stop being a consumer. Stop being someone who sits there as though you're at a show. You're not at a West End show. You're in the church of Jesus Christ. And there's a mission. There's a work to be done. And you know what? You might be called to just... I don't know, help in the, in the Sunday school. Or you might be called to help dish out teas and coffees. Or you might be called to stand on the door and welcome people as they come in. Or you might be called to do something altogether different to that. But you have a part to play. And you will only know that part when you get stuck in to this place. Or if it's not here, find somewhere else. Quick, don't faff around for ages. Fine, you know, if you're on your first week, don't hear this. This is fine. You can carry on for a little bit. But you know what? If you were here since before Christmas... Stop dating the church. Make a decision. Marry the church. And if it's not this one, find another one. Don't be like you're leading it on. You know, some guys are like that with the women. They go out with someone and they've been going on a date with them and they've been dating them for like three years. And I'm like, three years? How long does it take? You know what I'm saying? Some of those guys, I feel like asking them if they're gay or something. I mean, don't you want to get a bit of that? Or maybe you're already getting it and you shouldn't be. Maybe that's the problem, ladies. Maybe that's the problem. It's too easy. You're making it too easy for these guys. Enough already, huh? We want to see real men rise up. And I praise God that's what he's doing in this place. Real men rising up. Men who will take responsibility. Men who will lead in the home and lead in the house of God. Men who will go out and get a job. I'm on that again, but not start on that line. Otherwise, I'll never finish. But men who will be men. And I don't mean men that will beat their women up. I don't mean men that will have them under the thumb and oppress them and say, oh, well, I'm a complementarian. That means you've got to do everything I tell you. And you've got to be on the floor somewhere. You know, no. Men that will love and serve their women. Men that will get this, encourage their women. 
men that will liberate their women, men that will delight when their women take steps for God. Well, it wasn't something really precious when the pastor's daughter shared and, and the pastor gets up and hugs him and suddenly he's a dad, you know? That's what you want in your pastor. That's what you want in your leaders. That's what you want in your home. So what does Paul do? He encourages his leaders, but later on he meets Paul. And I, I'm going to have to rush. <laughs> so I'm not going to turn to some of these verses. I'm going to just talk through some of this, yeah? Okay? So what happens? Paul comes along. And by now, Barnabas has already got a, a reputation for caring for the underdog. And Paul comes along, and he's like the most evil dude you've ever met. He's like totally against God. He's like getting Christians killed. Okay? And suddenly he's like, oh, I've become a Christian. And everyone's like, oh, really? <laughs> so I, I don't really want you to come to my peace cell, thank you very much. Because, you know what? I, I have a nasty feeling that then the next morning I might not be at work. And then Adrian will be cross because I'm not at work because I'm in prison. He's the guy that's been persecuting them. And suddenly he's like, I, I met Jesus. I saw him. I saw him on the road to Damascus in blinding lights. And I went blind. And they're like, really? Uh-huh. But Barnabas, he encourages this new Christian. And one of the best things you can ever do is to encourage a new Christian. Because suddenly he's lost everything. You know, Paul's not really going to be best mates with these other mates anymore, is he? You know, the ones that were with him in that whole killing Christians thing. I think he's kind of lost that. But he hasn't got a family yet. And I don't know, maybe some of you are like this. You've become a Christian, maybe even the last few weeks. You've been here, you've heard God, you've put up your hand, you've come up the front, but you never quite made it to peace cell. You never quite made it to family. And it can be quite a sad place, actually, because you're on your own all of a sudden. Yeah, you've got Jesus. But I want you to know, the Christian walk is like a three-legged stool, okay? The first leg, the most important one in some ways, is your relationship with God that happens at home on your own, in your heart on your own. I want to follow you. I believe, the Bible says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, tick, done. But that's only one leg of the stool. Second leg of the stool, well, you're all here. Right now, it's coming to the house of God, it's worshipping, it's hearing God's word taught. That's great, but you've still only got two legs. The third leg of the stool, and you need three legs, otherwise it's going to fall over, is this. It's gathering in smaller groups or one-to-one with other believers and being encouraged. And that's what your peace cells are all about. You know, only about a third of you come to peace cells. It's not good enough. Sorry, but it isn't. There's, there's no reason... For you to have a two-legged stool when you can have a three-legged stool. And that's God's word to you this morning. You want to get into this? You want to learn how to be prophetic and be encouraging? You want to fulfill your destiny in God? You want to help other people fulfill your destiny in God? Well, we're going to give you an opportunity this morning to sign up for B-cells. Simple as that. This sermon won't do it for you. It can give you a few ideas. Great. I mean, it can help you, yeah. But it's B-cells that's going to make the difference for you. So Paul gets, Paul gets taken by Barnabas to the apostles. He's the real deal. It's okay. He's a believer. It's fine. But that's not the end of the story. A little bit later, we hear what happens in Antioch. Antioch's a wonderful thing because some guys get thrown out of Jerusalem. They go down to Antioch 
And they're from Cyprus, which is interesting, because it's the same place Barnabas was from. And uh, that's, I think there's a word for you in this at the moment, actually, as a church. Because sometimes, you know, you look to your right, you look to your left in church, and you think, well, everyone here is like me. But actually, sometimes God does that on purpose. He puts us to serve with people who are like us. And that's what happened with Barnabas and these people from Cyprus who'd gone to Antioch. They were both from the same home place. This guy grew up around here. That's why he's, he's perfectly assigned for this place. God prepares a, pers- a person for a place, but he also prepares a place for a person. Okay? So that was what happened there. But get this. Those people, before Barnabas even got there, it says this. They stopped just telling only Jews. And they started telling the Greeks. And this is my challenge for you. Do you only want people who are like you to become Christians? Or do you want to reach out to someone who's very different to you? Someone who's much richer than you? Someone who's much poorer than you? Someone who's from a different cultural background to you? Someone who's unemployed? Someone who's in your street? Someone who's at your office? That person who sits next to you at work? who mocks you for going to church on Sunday. Wouldn't it be great if he was like Paul and got saved? So start telling them. That's what they did. Start looking for the opportunity to tell them. Start praying for them. And there's all kinds of other things. I believe there's a prophetic call on you as a church to be a genuinely diverse, multicultural church. I believe it. And that's what we are in Jubilee. You know what? We have more than 50 nationalities in our church. They didn't start like that. And there's all kinds of challenges on the way to that. And we could spend hours talking about that, but we won't. You'll be glad to hear. <laughs> oh, boy. Will, will you give me a few minutes of grace? Okay, good. Not too long. I'm nearly there. Um, so when Barnabas comes along, actually, he adds something to what is already happening. There's, there's some, inco- some amazing things happening already. But when he comes along, instead of it being many people becoming Christians, it suddenly becomes a great number of people becoming Christians. So Barnabas comes, and just because the hand of God is on, you don't think you've got everything, you know everything. Sometimes we need help, okay? Sometimes we need help from outside, and that's what happened. So Barnabas comes on, he encourages this baby church, who incidentally hadn't waited for headquarters to tell them to do it, they just got on and doing it. Some of you are thinking, somebody needs to do this. Well, maybe it's you that needs to do it, I don't know. But then when he saw the grace of God on them, says in the scriptures, he exhorted them to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. And that's really the definition of encouragement. It's telling you as a people, remain faithful to God with steadfast purpose. Finish what you've started. Don't be one of these people who run to the front and say, yes, 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 I want to follow Jesus. And then you never see them again. Don't be like that. Be someone who's all in. That's what he did. He said, keep going. And what happened? He knew that he needed help also. He didn't have enough people there. But he wanted to encourage an emerging leader. So he went and he got Paul. And this was the guy that he would later fall into the shadow of. But at this point, make no mistake, Barnabas was the leader. And for a while, Barnabas was the leader. You know, when it talks about in Acts 13, we see there Barnabas, Paul, and a few others were leaders in that church. They had a team of leaders in that church. And Barnabas was at the beginning. He was the senior pastor. And then God spoke. God spoke. And you know, I I, want to say, really, who should we encourage? I hope you've got the gist of that for my second point, which is this, everyone. I mean, that's really what we're saying. Barnabas encouraged everyone he came across, yeah? And so should you. And one of the results of that encouragement, well, the first thing we see is that he was prophetically propelled out with Paul to do this mission. 
But notice this, Barnabas was a big guy who didn't need a big role to make a big difference. Because even in Acts 13, they're not even described as elders, they're not even described as apostles. Yes, they're described as either a pastor or a teacher, but that was much more about a, 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 a function that they're fulfilling rather than some kind of title, some kind of office. Don't wait for an office. Kevin was asking, what, what do they call you at Jubilee? And so I guess I'm just one of the leaders there. It's good enough for me. Actually, just one of the members there would be good enough for me. I hope that's good enough for you. Don't be thinking, well, you know, when somebody recognizes me and gives me the recognition I deserve, then I'll serve Jesus. Start serving him now. So that then, down the line, when someone says, hey, you know, this guy, this guy, and this guy, we think they're going to be the next elders. You all go, oh, we thought they already were. What are you talking about? Oh, okay, they're not elders yet. Fine. So... What happens? Paul takes over. They do this thing, a bit like I just talked about. It happens a lot at Jubilee, actually. The founding pastor of Jubilee handed over to Toppy, my pastor now, and he went off to plant another church, and then after a while, he came back. He was a bit older now, and he came back. He's just a member. He's not even one of our elders. He's not even one of our leaders now. And he's very happy as the founding pastor to sit in the back, and most people there even don't know who he is. That is the Barnabas spirit. And he sits there and he's rejoicing because he knows that that guy, Toppy, used to sit on the back row and that he was the one that said to Toppy on the back row, and maybe there's someone at the back row today who God is speaking to you as well. And he said, come on, I want you to serve God. I want you to become an elder. And he said, I don't want to be an elder. I'll help you in some other way. And eventually Toppy gave in and became an elder and the rest is history. And God uses him and all that. But you know what? Who, who should we thank? Should we thank Toppy or should we thank Colin who encouraged Toppy? Or should we thank both of them? Or actually should we thank the God that inspired both of them? Amen? Romans 12 says this, By the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought, but to think with sober judgment, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to him. Brothers and sisters, God has not called you to be the next Terry Virgo or, or, or the next Billy Graham or even the next Kevin Brown. He's called you to be you. He's called you to fulfill the purpose he's got for you. Sometimes encouragement will take the form of a rebuke. Barnabas got rebuked by Paul at one point because he stopped eating with people. How many of you know eating with people is a great way of encouraging them? Barnabas stopped it, so Paul slapped him around a bit. Said, how dare you? Stop it. And you, Peter, stop it. Eat with them again. Interesting, that. You want to encourage someone who's different to you? Bring them around your house. And serve them some of your food. Or get, guess what? Maybe eat some of their food. Why not try something different than chicken and rice for a change? Is that, any Nigerians in the house? Chicken and rice? Jollof rice, yeah? Is that what you eat? Yeah, I know about that. And I've even got, I, I've even got a jarrah. My jarrah is my fifth child, okay? You know what that is? A jarrah? Amen? Yeah, she knows. I'll talk to you afterwards. Anyway, sorry. Private joke. So he got rebuked because he wasn't eating with people. Interesting, that. And food is really important for encouragement. Go out for a meal with the person you're trying to encourage. His very strength was what led him away by the, astray, by the way. He was too easily led at that moment. It was Peter that led him. And sometimes you need to stand up to the person that's leading you and say, no, actually, I've got to go my own way. And that's what happened later on. And it happened because of really the last point I want to make, which is this. He put people before mission. You know, he was suddenly in this missionary team. And okay, he drifted away. It had gone from Barnabas and Paul to Paul and Barnabas. At one point, it was just Paul and his companions. Imagine that. 
I thought I was the big guy. They all called me Zeus, the king of the gods. And now I'm just one of the companions. I hope you would be as happy as he was for that. But you know what? There was a moment when Paul put the mission before people. And we can argue about who was right and wrong, but I'm kind of on Barnabas' side. Because John Mark, it said he got scared. How many of you ever get scared? And Paul is like, no way, he's not coming with us no more. And Barnabas was like, he's my nephew. And he put his family before the church. He put his family before the mission, and there's a lesson there for some of us. But he said, no, I'm not going to let us dump this guy. I'm not going to put him on the trash heap. And some of you have put yourself on the trash heap. Maybe you're an ex-pastor or an ex-leader of another church or or an ex-server in some way somewhere else and something happened and maybe you sinned or maybe someone sinned against you, I don't know. But you think, I can never do it again. Well, the Barnabas spirit would say to you this morning, yes, you can. That young man that Paul and Barnabas fought over, how many of you know his history? He wrote Mark's gospel. Thank God for Barnabas because we wouldn't have Mark's gospel. But you know what? Luke was inspired by Mark. Matthew, we think, was probably inspired by Mark, and probably John was inspired by him too. So we might not have had any Gospels if it wasn't for Barnabas. In fact, we wouldn't have had most of Acts if it wasn't for Barnabas, remember, because he encouraged Paul. In fact, we wouldn't have had hardly any of the epistles if it wasn't for Barnabas, because he encouraged Paul. And some people think he wrote Hebrews, I don't know. Maybe it would be just like Barnabas not to sign his name, wouldn't it? Because it's not all about him, it's about Jesus. Who knows, maybe he did, maybe he didn't. We can ask him when we get to heaven. Was that you, mate, or was it someone else? (laughs) You see, God used Barnabas. He used him to do an amazing thing. He used him to bring unity between Jerusalem and Antioch, which nearly split up. And that is what happens when encouragement comes. It brings unity. It brings joy. It brings comfort. It brings advance. It brings propulsion into God's purposes. Will you, you know, you and I will probably never be a Paul but we can all be a Barnabas. We really can. We can all be a Barnabas. It's Jesus who changed Barnabas' life. It's Jesus that encouraged him. It's Jesus that comforted him. The Bible says this, that God is the God of all comfort, and he comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. How many of you know Jesus promises troubles? How many of you know he always keeps his promises? You know, I, I don't see many people naming and claiming that promise. I'm claiming the promise of troubles, Jesus. I don't advise you to do that, but I do advise you to realize that when troubles come, you shouldn't be surprised. Because Jesus said, actually, each day has enough trouble of its own. So if you've got a day with no trouble, then you're doing pretty well. But God comforts you in your troubles so that you can comfort others in theirs. That's the whole purpose of God for you as an individual and for us as a church. Can we bow our heads for a moment? I have a challenge for you. And the first, well, I have two challenges, two groups of people here. First group of people, you're not a Christian, or if you are a Christian, you're a backslidden Christian. You've not been uh, working with God really for a long time. All this seems a bit of a mystery to you. You're really one of those dirty stones, and God is wanting to say to you right now, I want to pick you up, I want to dust you off, and I want to give you a purpose, and I want to give you a place in the people of God. You don't know Jesus. You want him. You want him. Right now, you want him. You're like, I want to know him. I want my sins to be forgiven. I believe. Suddenly, I believe. It's like a light has been switched on in your head right now, and you're thinking, I believe. He did rise again. 
Yes, he did. And it's the Spirit of God that's doing that for you right now. And it's a very simple thing I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand right where you sit. I've prayed for you that God would meet you this morning and would save you or bring you back. I see that hand. I see those hands going up. There are hands going up. People are being saved this morning. Amen. People are being brought back to Jesus this morning. People are being forgiven this morning. People, even a young child can come to know Jesus this morning. Even a young boy. You know, Jesus once said to his disciples, don't forbid the children from coming. I want to ask you to stand, actually, where you are, if you don't mind, if your hands are raised. Just so I can really see you, because I know some of you, their arms are tired. And we're going to pray for you. Amen. Let's just give the Lord a clap. There were more hands. Let's see you standing. Come on, stand up. I saw some more hands. Stand up. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. He's not ashamed of you. There were more hands. Jesus is calling you to make a stand here and just say, I want to follow him from now on.